great to see you. Welcome, welcome. Um, <clears throat> we're actually going to be diving into the scriptures today, so uh, if you have your Bibles, which I absolutely am convinced you all will, uh, just pull them out. Uh, you can go ahead and open them at First uh, Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1. We, uh, just as you're doing that, we've spent the last uh, few weeks on this great journey of discovering a little bit more about who Peter was. And I love that we've done that, not only because we planned it that way, but I love that we've done that because as we now start to bring the, the focus of our attention into the words and writing of Peter, we actually get this beautiful perspective because we get to bring with us the man of Peter into these verses. We've understood a little bit about who he was, his, his highs, his lows, his failures, his distinctives, his leadership, um, his calling, his confession, all those things that we've, we've journeyed with over the last few weeks really help paint a beautiful beautiful tapestry of the guy that has penned some words for us to read. And there's a context which we're going to look at in a few minutes in which Peter's writing too. But uh, I love that we get to uh, not just uh, get to dive into scripture on the cold face of it, but we get to draw on the richness of knowing a man who lived and breathed and and had life and had interests and had highs and lows and all that other stuff. And and he points this and brings this all into the context of the things that we're going to actually journey with over the next few months. Um, if you are taking notes, which I'd encourage you to do, um, this will be helpful for you because as you, as you track and journey with us over the next few weeks and months ahead, you can go on your own study and your own journey as you dive into allowing the Holy Spirit to open up this uh, beautiful letter to you and allow it to speak to you. But there'll be some things that we share uh, on our mornings together that might be a helpful starting point. So jot down some notes and uh, engage as much as you're able to on a Sunday morning and all that jazz. Um, be good. Like I said, um, our, our key focal passage for this morning is 1 Peter. Uh, I'm going to read to you in a second from the message translation just to give you a flavor of this first chapter. And then we're going to be zeroing in on, uh, on the verses um, from 3 to 9. Uh, but let me read this to you to give you a flavor of the beginning entrance into this letter. I, Peter, am an apostle on assignment by Jesus, the Messiah, writing to the exiles scattered to the four winds. Not one is missing, not one forgotten. God the Father has his eye on each of you, and he's determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. May everything good from God be yours. What a God we have, and how fortunate we are to have him. This Father of our Master Jesus... Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. I know you know how great this makes you feel. Even though you have put up with every kind of uh, aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out proven pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proven genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. You never saw him, yet you loved him. You still don't see him, yet you trust him with laughter and singing. Because you kept on believing, you'll get what's yours 
you're looking forward to. Total salvation. And Peter goes on to uh, remind himself and remind the reader about um, the prophetic understanding of Jesus that we find in the Old Testament. He says this, the prophets who told us this was coming asked a lot of questions about this gift of life God was preparing. The Messiah's spirit let them in on some of it, that the Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when. All they were told was that they were serving you. You who, by orders from heaven, have now heard for yourself through the Holy Spirit. The message of those prophecies fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given everything to be on on this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that as we open up your word, it releases incredible hope. God, your word is such a foundation on which we can build our lives. And I pray that we would be stirred by these words of Peter. We would be stirred into hope. Fresh hope for our lives, fresh hope for our future, fresh hope again for eternity. For a life lived out with you, in relationship with you. Bless us again, God, uh, with a deep conviction to know that the salvation that we have, the salvation that we've said yes to, when we said yes to you, Jesus, we stepped into a life of hope, no matter what our circumstances say. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> there's, a, uh, there's a context to this letter, which is probably worthwhile me pointing out. Um, whenever we read scripture, that, that timeline, that context it's actually really helpful because this letter was written by Peter into a very specific time a very specific moment and it's important um, because we get to understand that moment and it and it helps speak to us here today even though this letter was written a long time ago it can still speak to us today and every bit of strength and the weight of truth that we find in these words can add strength and wisdom and challenge and encouragement from Peter's words on a page into our lives today. But, but the apostle um, Peter was writing this uh, particular letter about 30 years after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So we're still very much in that early first generation of the early church. And uh, Peter had set himself up to write to a pl- pretty bleak and um, weary set of Christians Right at the very beginning of the, of the first chapter, it points out some places that Peter's writing to the church. And these uh, places are actually in modern-day Turkey, but at the time Peter was writing, they were facing uh, real oppression, real persecution. Uh, as, we, as we'll kind of journey through this, you'll see there's various different challenges that this, um, this group of Christians were encountering. They uh, were challenged by overbearing bosses. They were challenged by uh, unbelieving uh, spouses who were threatening them. They, were, uh, they seemingly were in and amongst uh, skeptical neighbors and associates that were putting pressure on them. Um, And this whole period of time, sort of around AD 64, was the reign of an emperor called Nero. And if you know anything about history, the reality of this man's reign um, and this man's rulership was that it was, he he, uh, led with an iron fist. He he brought great and very real challenge to the early church. And, And lives were lost and young believers were persecuted because of their faith under this man's leadership. So this is the context in which Peter's writing. But actually, outside of this context, Peter's got this this overarching purpose in writing this letter. And um, I'm always of the opinion that, that 
like if I'm writing an email to you, you usually find the purpose of that email right at the very beginning because I want to convey pretty quickly what I want to talk to you about. But um, Peter actually leaves the very, the very purpose right to the end uh, <clears throat> of his letter. Um, but it's a helpful purpose to grasp because it's an overarching purpose to the whole of this, of this letter. And so it, it helps us actually piece together some of this wisdom, encouragement, and strength that Peter wants to bring in it. And it helps set the scene for why he wants us to be strengthened, why he wants us to take on board this wisdom, and why he wants to encourage us. And you'll find it right at the very end of the, the letter. And it's 1 Peter 5.12, and I'll just read it to you. He says this in his final greeting to those readers. He said, By Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. Everything I've written up to now, it's the true grace of God. Why? So that you will stand firm in it. This is the purpose. This is the purpose of Peter's letter, that we would find rich strength coming from these, these words, rich strength coming from this truth, and we would allow it to form a foundation under our feet that we could literally stand firm on. And this is really important because it's helping them to understand that they, that they as readers, they as new believers, needed to, to move into a maturity. So much so that the, the peripherals, the circumstances around them no longer dictate to them, but they are anchored to something much firmer, and that is truth. You can almost um, see the, the young Christian readers who would have read this letter, you can almost see them thinking as they got to the end of this letter, oh, we've got to stand firm. Okay, I, I better go back and read everything again because, I, you know, this was not a letter, this was not a postcard from a friend on holiday. This was, not, um, this was not just a friend of the faith checking in with them. This was, uh, this was real wisdom on which Peter instructs them to stand firm. Peter gives them just this clarity that everything he's written, you can imagine, I get to the end of this book, oh my goodness, I probably need to go back to the beginning because this is, this is not just watery stuff. This is stuff I've got to stand firm on. And um, I love the, the way Peter does this because what he's helping these early believers, and I think he's helping us, us to realize, is that he wants to move his readers from being externally motivated to being internally motivated. This is actually one of the great journeys of our faith. That actually the, <clears throat> where, <clears throat> and it was actually the great journey of Israel uh, through the Old Testament into the New Testament. That actually Israel was a nation entirely dictated to by external parameters, the law. And then as we move into the new covenant through the cross, we understand that the law is written on our hearts. And actually the things that, that had been, been law that was outside of them that they must hold an account to actually became an inner conviction that they lived from. They were actually new Christians who had moved through the cross and, and responded to Jesus were now no longer responding to external parameters. They were living from an internal distinctive. And it was a big shift. And this is what Peter was trying to help these young believers who had an amass of external parameters really hammering hard on them. Strong pressures coming in and onto their life. And Peter was saying, I, I want you to take this lens of standing firm on this truth. 
I want it to become a foundation that you build upon. I want it to be out of which you build your lives. I want to plant a seed. And this is what Peter's doing. He wants to plant a seed of truth in those young believers' lives that ultimately would grow a root system inside them that was so deep that no matter what was going on around them, even great persecution, great trial, great challenge, whatever was going on, the root system in their lives founded on the seed of truth that we'll dive into this morning would create incredible fruit. And I love this journey. I love this context because it helps us understand that the one Peter isn't just, a, isn't just some advice. You know, if Peter was wanting to <clears throat> bring some just helpful advice to the early church at that particular time, given the amount of oppression and the amount of persecution, he probably should have just said, dig a very big hole and hide very far inside it because that's your best bet. You know, if this was just a tips to ride out some hard times, then he would have said, run as fast as you can. Try and stay indoors. Keep your lights turned off, off, curtains closed. But this isn't what we find in the word. We find truth. We find encouragement. And they're all seeds that Peter intended for us and this early church to plant in their lives to create a root system of strength. A foundation that they could stand firm on. And we're going to dive into these verses together. We're going to pull them apart a little bit and hopefully glean some things that are going to be a part of laying a foundation for us again this morning. So it begins in... I want to begin in verse 3. It says, praise, I'm going to read, it'll come up on the screen, but I'm going to read it from the NIV translation. It says this, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, uh, I love the way even Peter just postures himself in a place of worship, even right at the very beginning of this letter. Um, I, I think Peter is actually just inviting us to understand how we should be postured all the time when we read scripture, and that is that we come from a place of worship. You know, I, I'm, I'm convinced that so many of us, myself included, we just read the scriptures so clinically. Uh, we're often just there to kind of, well, what, what's the thing I need for me right now? Trying to pull out truth, trying to approach God's word simple from a, a practical teaching point of view. But that was never supposed to be our engagement with the word of God. This is a living, breathing word in which we can have a living, breathing, worship-focused life. And I, I think I want to, you know, I want for us to position our hearts as we even dive into this. Uh, in a place of worship. And that's where Peter started. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation uh, is ready to be revealed in the last times. So Peter's diving straight in. He's trying to lay a foundation for these readers, for us. And he, and he introduces this concept of, of new birth. And he says uh, that we, we, are, we are to experience and to know and have a revelation of new birth into three things. A living hope through Jesus. An inheritance that will never perish, be spoiled or fade. And finally, new birth into the promise of God's power. Three amazing things to be birthed into. 
Um, and this concept of new birth is really important for us to grasp as well. Um, Peter reminds us really uh, right at the very beginning of this incredible gift, and it's a gift of new life. Um, I, I don't hear it as much these days, but um, I, I remember hearing people ask certain questions. Yeah, are you one of those born-again Christians? As if like there's some other sort of Christian knocking around. Like, are you a, are you a born again Christian? I, I don't think being born again is some sort of distinctive label for, a, for people that take their faith seriously. I, I think a, the reality of salvation that we step into because of our trust in Jesus is entirely a new birth moment. Like you don't have any other type of salvation. It's, it's all new birth. And Peter talks to us about stepping into the new birth of those three things. Living hope, inheritance, and a promise of God's power. But this new birth, it is this journey from, from death into life. I want to be absolutely clear that when, when we put our trust in Jesus, we're, we're not bad people that God just sort of makes better. We're dead people that come alive. Like this is the fullness of the gospel. We're not, we're not people that in some way are sort of uh, a little bit rough around the edges and God smooths it out. We are dead people because of our sin. We're dead in our sins, dead in our transgressions. That's what the word says. And we're made alive. We're brought to life through salvation. And one person in here seems excited about that. So that, that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad we're such a fervent gospel-centered church. But anyway, we're alive. We're alive. We're no longer dead. This is new birth. And Peter goes on uh, to really describe the landscape of this new birth, the new landscape of our lives. And I'll pull out each one, a living hope through Jesus. So in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's incredible gift to us was Jesus. It was his life, his death, his resurrection that paid for the price of, of our sin, all the things that would separate us from God. We were gifted a way back into relationship with God. We were gifted a way through the problem of our sin. And it was putting our trust in what Jesus did on the cross. This was the, the gift of our salvation. But what also speaks to me in terms of this this generous father who loved the world so much that he gave his only son, is it, it puts a price on my life and your life. It puts a value, it places a value that, that God would place on your life and my life, and in fact, the life of every person. To say, actually, you were worth sending my one and only son. And this, to me, speaks and it demonstrates loudly that God is for us. You know, this living hope that we can experience that Peter's talking about, it's not something we drum up necessarily uh, internally, but it's a reality of knowing God's for us. He played such a high price, he placed such a high value on you and me that he would send his son. He would give us this gift of the gospel to come back into relationship with the Father because we're so valuable to him, because he's for us. So those guys who are reading this letter, perhaps for the first time, who are being challenged because of their faith, for those who are encountering serious difficulty, trial and suffering, Peter's helping them understand, and he's helping us understand, that, that they can renew their hope. They can experience a living hope. 
Because he was saying, look, God has given you the greatest indication of just how much you matter to him. Despite all that's going on, Jesus has told you and showed you and demonstrated to you just how much you matter to him. And just how much he's for us. So if he is, if he is so for us that he is willing to give his only son, how much more for us is he, is he through and in the trials and challenges that we might encounter? And we don't even encounter the reality of what these early Christians were encountering. Not one of us in this room stands here persecuted for our faith and runs the risk of losing our life. We just don't do that in this country. We don't have that pressure. And yet, again, these words, this living hope speaks just as much to us in our circumstances, in the challenges, in our, in our hopelessness, in our fear, in our distraction, in our discouragement. The living hope speaks right into the midst of that to say, if God was, loved you so much, if you place such value on your life to send Jesus to the cross, if he is so for you to that end, how much more for you is he in the midst of whatever you're facing right now? This is this living hope that God gives us. And if that wasn't enough, this new birth into an inheritance. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So we find that we're not only have a confidence and a new hope because God is on our side and he's for us. But we have an inheritance. And this isn't a diminishing inheritance. This is one that will prevail, that will not perish. It will not spoil, it will not fade. And for those guys reading these verses, reading this letter, it was another a reminder to stand firm. Like there's a great inheritance that's been gifted to you. Stand firm in what you believe. Even through encountering persecution, hardship, trial, even through fear of death, stand firm because there's a great inheritance that's been gifted to you. You know, Peter was addressing the the very real problem for these new Christians. You know, they were young in their faith and for many of them they were hitting this challenge of persecution, hitting this challenge of um, fear and they were turning their back on Jesus. They were turning their back on this gospel and they were saying, it's not worth the cost. It's too painful, it's too hard, it's not worth the cost. And what Peter brings front and center is, it's entirely worth the cost. There's an inheritance for you. It's called eternity. This thing that you're looking at, you're facing right now, it's temporal. The gift that's been given to you is, a, is eternal. Stand firm. This is an inheritance that won't diminish, it won't spoil, it won't rot. You're not going to miss out. Stand firm. And again, the reality for us is that 2016, sat here in a sports hall in Manchester, we've got freedom to express our faith. Um, we've got, uh, we don't live in fear of our, of our own lives because of our love for Jesus. We, we just don't have that. But at one level, you can say that actually that um, to follow Jesus doesn't have a great cost for us in that regard. But actually, you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. If you think that because we live in the Western world and we've got freedom and, and the, the, the cost of following Jesus is pretty, pretty small, that there is no cost, you are entirely wrong. 
Because actually you were asked and required to give your entire life anyway. You know, a biblical word for that would be consecration. It simply means that we give ourselves fully to God. We give ourselves fully to the cause of Christ on the earth. But this cost, even for us, even without the reality of persecution, this cost for us is held up against a value of an inheritance that is eternal. Like, this is good news. You can smile if you want. It's allowed. Like, it's good news. But the challenge in the midst of that new good news is actually, are we prepared to give our all? Are we going to be fully consecrated to God? You know, the alternative is, is that we don't really take this thing very seriously, that our relationship with God, it's, it's, it's something we do as and when we feel like it. Maybe we show up to church a few times a month, but really that's the extent to which this sort of faith thing really takes root. And let me tell you, that would be a shallow set of roots. Because actually, the root system that God would ask you to develop, the depth of relationship that he's calling you into, the the call that's on your life to lead in this city, to engage in this city in such a way, like it's going to take far more than just a, a general feeling towards going to church. It's like actually this is a lifelong commitment. This is a consecration, a giving of myself entirely. And even in this call from Peter to this, to this early church, in asking them to stand firm, he's still asking them to be all in. And that's what we need to hear. We need to hear these words and know, actually, like, are we all in? Are we all in? Are we fully consecrated to God? Have we given him everything? Or are we derailed at the first sign of trouble? Are we derailed at the first uh, type of trial or challenge? Are we derailed? Or actually are we so given over to God that we entrust again our lives to him? It's consecration. It's what? God responds and requires of us. But even in all this, um, this call from Peter to stand firm, he reminds them that not only do they have a living hope, not only do they have a great inheritance, but actually there is provision along the way. And that provision comes in the, fa- in the, in the reality of an all-powerful, loving father. It comes in the reality of a shield. So in this great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through resurrection of Jesus Christ and the dead, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, we get to stand firm in a living hope. We get to experience and, and hold fast to a very real very extravagant inheritance of eternal life. But we get along the way to be strengthened at all times and in all seasons by a powerful God who promises to shield us. Now, I could unpack the scriptures in a, just it is rooted with promises of God towards you about his provision of strength towards you. It's, it's from beginning to end, it's a one large commitment from God towards yourself. Like he doesn't love you so much that he would send his only son to then back away and say, I hope it works out for you. 
The reality is he is intimately committed and covenantly connected to your life. And he promises to back it up with power. So moving on in these verses from verse 6 onwards, and Paul kind of shifts gear a little bit. And he paints a picture of how we should actually respond in light of this great new birth, this great gift. And he says, in all this, so in all this gift of new birth, living hope, inheritance, promise of power, in all this, you greatly rejoice. That now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There have come so that, uh, sorry, these have come so that proven genuous of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Seems an odd context to be talking about joy in the face of fearing of losing your life. And then here again, the promise, for you have received the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So our response, what's our response to this firm foundation, this incredible truth that we can stand firm on? Well, it's four things. It's praise even through trial. It's seeing trial in the context of hope. It is more praise and it is joy. These are things that we can give our lives to. These are the things that we can pay attention to. Like, where are these things represented in my life? Where is praise showing up in my life? Where is, where is hope, in, even in the context of trial, showing up in my life? Where is more praise showing up in my life? Where is joy, even when I just don't feel like it? So praise even through trial, even though there were challenges and trials for this early group of Christians. Peter was giving them the key to enduring trial. He was giving them a key. And that key was praise. It's just full on good advice. At the point when anything seems overwhelming in your context, in your life, lean into God. Like lean into him. Praise becomes then this powerful weapon that allows us to entirely take our eyes off the things that impinge and focus on the the God of promise, the God that has already laid a foundation on which we can build from. It's that determination in the context of trial to turn turn a, a selfish focus into a selfless proclamation of praise. I love that we get to choose to do that. It's not easy and it would be trite for me to stand here and say, just praise. It's a choice. It's an act of your will in times of trial or fear or, or whatever it is that you're facing. It is an act of your will to choose to praise. I know that, but it's a key. It's a key that Pete was trying to give to this early group of Christians and it's a key for us. Because what it does is it returns us to hope. It returns us to hope. Praise returns us to hope because we, we set our eyes on the mountains. We set our eyes above where our problems lie. And the, and the Word of God says that actually when we fix our eyes on the mountains, that's where our strength comes from. In other words, when we choose to focus above and beyond the things that might distract us in the here and now, we're going to be strengthened by God. It will release hope into our lives. And Peter goes on, he goes on to tell us that, that the context of these trials, these challenges in our lives, 
It can always be hope. I love the way the message put this. It said, I know how great this makes you feel. Even though you've put up with every kind of aggravation um, in the meantime. Pure gold. Put it in the fire. Comes out proven pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps it all up, it's your faith, not gold, that God will display as evidence of his victory. There's even tangible, visible aspects of hope that we can see, even in the very depths of despair, even in the very depths of trial. We can choose to see that in the context of hope. You know, there's a faith that can carry us through circumstances. And that's that faith that really Peter's saying, that has lasting value. That stuff really matters. You know, I know that, that when life is going swimmingly for you, it's easy for you to rock up here and just and sing songs of praise. It, it's easy. It doesn't cost you anything. But I know, as I know because I know many of you and some of the things that you're walking through, that actually when you come here on a Sunday or whenever you turn your affections towards the Lord during the week, actually it's a choice and it's, a, it's because you grit your teeth in determination. Let me tell you, that faith, that type of faith that will, that will dig in and go deep, that's the stuff that lasts. That's the stuff that is of real value. And do you know what it shows, this value of your faith as you walk through these seasons? It actually further demonstrates the work of God in our lives. That actually that we can thrive in times of great trial. Even in great times of challenge, we can thrive. It's the context of hope. And there, from Peter, reminds us again, there's probably a greater, greater more, more deserving reason to give praise and adoration. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you've not seen him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. There's something you find in this journey of trial and challenge. There's something you'll find in those seasons that you won't get anywhere else. You don't get it on the mountaintop. You'll only find it in the valley. And you'll find some things in there that will give you inexpressible and glorious joy. I'm not just telling you that because I want to make you feel better. I'm telling you that because it's in the word of God. I love that God promises that even in the midst of the darkest valley we'll find ourselves in, there will be an inexpressible and glorious joy that will come forth. It's truth. It's what I believe. It's what I hunger for. You know, this journey of endurance and standing firm on these trials and circumstances, it absolutely leads us into joy. Because joy is not just my feeling when everything is okay. Joy is this deep, rooted embracing of who God is in my life. It's tainted with hope. It's fueled by praise. But it sets a root system in my life that is unshakable. That's what I want for us as a family. An unshakable root system. And no matter what we face, no matter where we've been, what we've done, or even what's been done to us, that this root system anchors us to a living hope. And a joy that would come as fruit. Remember, despite anything the world can throw at you, you won. Despite anything the world can throw at you, you won. 
The end result of your faith is your salvation. You won. He won. Verse 9. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. You won. The salvation of your souls. The resounding message of, of this, um, this chapter is, uh, is a message of hope. And I, I would hate to bring a, a trite message and just say, well, you know, we just, just need to be, have a little more hope. Because I know some of the situations you're work, working through. I know some of the, the illness, the grief, the challenges, the relationships that cause us as a church family uh, to, in individual ways and even in groups, just be challenged and face trial. I, I understand all of that. So this is not just a sense of saying, well, you know, just have a little hope and things will get better. It's saying, could we be a family that, that take this instruction, take this wisdom and encouragement, plant it as a seed in our lives and allow it, because of who God is, because of what he said, allow it to seed a root system in our lives that would see us strengthened in any season. That's my hope. You know, we, I think we, we often get confused by hope. You know, we use it in, the, you know, in our language. You say, well, I hope it stops raining. That isn't the hope we're talking about. That really just means I wish it would stop raining. It's not real hope. Biblical hope is about expectation. And I love the way the New Living um, Version even translates this verse 3. And I'll read it to you. It says this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again. We've been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. It's not wishful thinking, guys. It's a great expectation. It's that ability to let this truth be so seeded in our life that our vision is one of great expectation. I know time's going on. I want to share really briefly just a quick story before we close. Um, for the last couple of months, um, Sarah and I have been <clears throat> going through a journey with our, uh, with our daughter, Abby. She's 10 years old. And um, to cut a long story short, um, for a season of time, she's been waking up every single morning with great fear. Uh, it's, a, it's a bizarre thing. She's fearful of going to school. Uh, she, has, she has anxiety to the point where she's throwing up numerous times every morning on the way to school. As soon as she gets to school, she walks in those doors and she would tell us when, she, when we pick her up at the end of the day, it's like that fear just lifts off. So we know it's nothing to do with school. Don't we need to be overly concerned? And actually we're seeing great, uh, great victory in terms of her coming out of this season. But I wanted to raise this to you because um, I feel like, like in this moment I've, I've faced... Somebody in front of me who has, has no hope for herself. You know, one particular point, one particular morning, she was asking, pleading with me to take this fear away. She was pleading with me that, that actually her life would end so that she didn't feel the way she was feeling. She was so scared. And I say this not to place any fear on you, but the reality of, of fear in our lives and even in people's lives around us, it's just very, very real. And even the reality of, of, of unreasonable fear, like Abby's fear is totally un, uh, irrational. There's no reason or rhyme to it. And in that moment, I, I, 
I know the Lord spoke to me really clearly about hope because at that particular moment, Abby had no ability to, to hold on to hope. She had no hope in her life. And this is a 10-year-old girl trying to get to school. You know, and I know there's many people in the room that have got lots of other challenging situations. But I felt like the Lord spoke to me so clearly about, about my ability to have hope for her when she couldn't have hope for herself. And I want to, I want to speak into our church family to that end. I want to be the kind of community that has hope for one another when, when maybe others don't have hope for themselves. I want to experience for one another this living hope that would mean I'm not just satisfied by an inheritance, but I I get to experience a living hope here and now. You know, Peter, in these verses, he's shouting loud and clear, have, have hope, have expectation. And I know that's a journey for us as individuals. And I want to uh, challenge us to go on a journey with one another to stir and cultivate hope for others when they don't have it for themselves. I want us to love one another as a family so well that we, that we, we go to new, new levels of hope because we stand side by side with one another. And I believe that actually that one of the keys for that, for that early church to move through those severe times of trial was the reality of them, of them being together. It was the common unity that they shared, both in the high times and the low. But Peter's shouting from these verses, shouting, have hope. He's shouting, have expectation. He's allowed us to understand that all of this hope and expectation, it's not just drummed up externally. It is entirely built on an internal infrastructure of truth. And so I would say to you this morning, we have the task as a church family of tending this seed of hope in our hearts. We have the job of nurturing expectation in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. In the light of who God is and what he's promised, in the knowledge of of the fact that he is for us, we can have outrageous hope. Hope that lets us dream big. That's what hope does. It lets us dream big. And when when we dream, dreams are a very powerful thing in our lives. Dreams are what points us towards our future. And trial and challenge, what does, that, what does that hold us back from? Holds us back from our future. Because it says you're never going to move past right now. Right now has got you stuck. But hope and dreams, they point you to the future. They point you to an adventure with God that will lead you hand in hand with the Holy Spirit into everything that God's got for you tomorrow, next week, next month, and next year. Dreams are an incredibly powerful thing. So because of who God is, because of what he's done, live in confidence, live in hope, and dream big. Dream big. Why don't you stand? I want to pray for you. If you feel comfortable, just go ahead and hold out your hands. Really, it's, it's nothing um, strange other than saying, God, I'm, I'm open to what you want to do with me now. I'm even putting my body in a posture that says, I'm open. I'm open to what you want to lay a foundation in my life for. So, Father, I thank you that even by your Holy Spirit right now, you would allow 
the, the truth, the seed of this word this morning to come and lay such a strong foundation in our lives that actually the, the tomorrow would look different. Even today would look different. Father, we actually again just choose to hold you at your word to know that you're a good father who gives good gifts, that actually you gave the incredible gift of your son it demonstrated the value you've placed on our lives. And so we're, we're open. We say we will just receive that truth to the very core of who we are. That God, you're for us. You're for us. You love us. You like us. Father, just for those that feel like they're just clinging on, For those in this room that just feel like, actually, there's things that are going on, you just have no idea. I just just declare the truth of God's word that he loves you. He loves you. He's with you. He stood right by you. He's cried every tear with you. He knows the pain that you carry. He knows the fear and the anxiety that you see when you look at your future. He sees every single piece of it and he stood right by you. Thank you again, God, that you promise of your word is that you would never leave us, you'd never forsake us. You are indeed a faithful God. So we put our trust again in you. We come to you, perhaps weary, battered, perhaps confused, perhaps living in fear, and we choose to trust you with our lives. And we say this morning, would you come and place a, a seed of hope? Father, we maybe don't even understand it, but we say by your spirit, would you come and place a seed of hope in our hearts? that would begin to start to grow a depth, a root system that would go deep into us, that would strengthen us with truth, would strengthen us with the reality of who you are, God. Thank you, Father. I'd love it if the prayer team would just come and make themselves available. Um, just over to my left, they will come and hang out for the next little while. I, I'm conscious that as maybe even I've been sharing, there's been things that you've, uh, you feel like the Holy Spirit's just been putting his finger on that you feel like, I just want to respond to that. I would love someone to stand with me and pray with me. I would even just love to come and share some of the stuff that's going on in my life with somebody they'd love they would absolutely look at this group of people they would just love to be with you some of them are wearing shorts that's okay we love them and they love you um this is an amazing group of people who would love just to stand with you pray with you whatever it is you're going through whatever it's going on in your life they'd love to stand with you pray with you just invite who god is right into the very midst of that thing maybe you're sick this morning Hey, maybe you've never, ever known what it is to come into relationship with God. Maybe you've been around us this morning and you've heard us sing songs about God's mercy. Maybe you've actually felt something inside of you that connects with, with what's going on in the room. And that's just God's presence here with us. And I'd encourage you, the best decision you could ever make in life is to commit your life to Jesus. He gave his life for you. God gave Jesus 
to make a way for you to be in relationship with a Father who has loved you for eternity and is set in mind to love you for eternity. And so if that's you, if you would love to be in relationship with God, if you'd love to know more about what Jesus has done for you, come out and meet one of these wonderful people. They'd love to tell you more about that and pray with you this morning. But for the rest of us, we're going to kind of officially uh, end our time together this morning. Other than refreshments, we'd love for you to stick around, have some tea, coffee, hang out. Um, Guys who've been around Vine Life for a good length of time, go find someone you've never met before. This is a great opportunity for you to meet someone you've never met before. Hang out, uh, and we would love to see you next week. If you're brand new this morning, if you're a guest with us, come and join us at the guest lounge. We'd love to say hi to you back there. Other than that, the prayer team will be available for the next little while, so feel free to get some prayer. Bless you guys.